Welcome to Palace Confidential, the weekly podcast all about the royal family where we assemble some of Britain's most fabulous experts and commentators and delve into the news coming out of the palaces to keep you royally clued up. I'm your host, Joe Elvin, editor of the Mail on Sunday's You magazine. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple and Google. And if you haven't already, why not sign up for the daily Mail Plus briefing at mailplus.co.uk, where you can also watch Palace Confidential on video. Hello and welcome to this Palace Confidential, your weekly look at all the news, intrigue and controversy from the royal household right here on Mail Plus. I'm Jo Elvin and my expert panel this week is royal biographer Angela Levin and the Mail's Saturday diary editor and my TV husband Richard Eden. Welcome to both of you. But before we hear from them, here's what we have coming up for you this week. Find out which royals are jumping on that podcast bandwagon. Plus, more commercial deals are brewing at Meghan's. And we take a look back at the history of the event known as Her Majesty's Most Gracious Speech. But first, a twist, or should that be twists, in the extraordinary saga of Prince Andrew's friendship with the late sex offender Jeffrey Epstein and the accusations that he had sex with Virginia Roberts when she was a minor. Claims we should add that Andrew strenuously denies. The males Stephen Wright and Richard Pendlebury have produced a series of pieces that raise questions about not only Andrew's defence but also the claims of his accuser. I stress we wanted to do this in as forensic a manner as possible, Richard and I and our team, but there are discrepancies and there are holes in the stories of, of both the accused and the accuser. The Duke, in terms of his, his, his memory and, and his, his inability, it seems, to recall key events. Um, Virginia Roberts, as well, in terms of the allegations she's made, the details she has given, um, which, you know, there are holes in there and there are discrepancies, there are variations. What I would say in relation to both of those, the accused and the accuser, the Duke has evidently a very poor memory, but he has a corporate memory around him. Bodyguards, secretaries, diarists, housekeepers. No one at the moment has been able to help him remember what happened. Virginia Roberts had a very troubled childhood, teen years, uh, issue, you know, um, issues around abuse, drug abuse, mental health issues, alcohol issues. Those are in the public domain and are not contested. So you could argue that if her memory is not so reliable, or you've seen some issues, then there is maybe some mitigating circumstances. With the Duke, it's, it's more difficult, I would say, because of the people around him who could help jog his memory. Well, Richard, there were some eye-opening suggestions in these series of articles, weren't there? Yeah, I mean, it was a fascinating series, but, but also profoundly depressing and disturbing, really. I mean, the, the one that really fascinated me related to the fateful Newsnight interview. And at the time, Prince Andrew had said that he hadn't stayed um, at Epstein's house in New York. And it's been established by my colleagues on the Daily Mail that it just simply wasn't true. And so he was he, quite emphatic about that at the time, wasn't he? He, he, he was sort of, yeah, yeah, in his kind of strange way he was. But mm. it was... Um, you know, it's been firmly established by my colleagues that that w wasn't the case. And obviously that makes you wonder if he's 
I don't want to say a lie, but if he's been misleading about this, you know, what else has he been misleading about? Mm. It, it is worrying. I mean, Angela, what do you think? The palace will be just mortified. When this is not only just dragging on, but more information just keeps coming to light. Yes. The yeah. thing is, it's, it's obvious that the royal diary is kept meticulously and every single thing that they do is recorded. So it's taken a very, very long time to discover that there was a three hours privacy um, slot on his diary, which could have been found several months ago, if not years. Um, but interestingly, I think the Queen and the Duke of Edinburgh will be devastated by what's happening. The Queen adores Andrew and forgives him so many um, mishaps. But she's also, she's not a sort of micromanager and she prefers to leave things and to let them solve themselves. She's done this when her children have been divorcing and she said, well, you know, just give it a bit more time, just give it a chance. Um, and I think at her age now that it's too heartbreaking to mm. think about it. And because she can immerse herself in her sense of duty and her worth, that she will try and push it out of her mind. But on the other hand, they have made efforts to keep him right out of the public eye. He's no longer a working royal. He doesn't do anything. Some months ago, he asked if he could come back. And the answer was a very quick and firm no. And we remember um, Princess Beatrix's wedding, which was very small and quickly put together. He wasn't in any of the photographs that they showed afterwards. They just realized they've got to keep him right out of the public eye. Gosh, it's a mess. And Richard, there yeah. were also some questions there about his accuser and her story. Yeah, I mean, the, the articles have been scrupulously um, balanced and fair. They haven't sort of been arguing one side or the other. They've just been going through in forensic detail, essentially, the, the alibis of Prince Andrew and his accuser. And his accuser's um, alibi in her case you know, it doesn't really stack up either. She's gone back on things which she had previously said, I think, in sworn testimony, um, which, which is disturbing. And, I mean, in a way, in her case, you can sort of understand it a bit more. I mean, she... She was very young. She was a child yeah. when she started working for Epstein, mm. for whatever reason. Um, so it's kind of more understandable than in Prince Andrew's case. Um, but it, it's it's all just... You know, the, the courts now in America have the duty of sort of going through this stuff in the case of Ghislaine Maxwell, and that's when we'll be hearing a, a lot more about it. Um, but from Prince Andrew's case, and certainly in my opinion, he really does need to give an interview to the FBI and tell the whole truth and say what he knows, you know, what he doesn't know, and, and answer the questions that they have. It's no good trying to fob them off with some kind of statement, pre-prepared statement or something. Gosh, do you know, it's so funny. Well, not funny, but i almost forgotten about Ghislaine Maxwell. There's that whole time bomb yeah. to come as well in Revelations next year. But, Angela, if, if you were giving Prince Andrew any advice, <laughs> what would you dare sort of say at, at this time? Well, it would be a tricky one, but actually I feel that he should talk to his daughter, Princess Beatrice, because she interviewed the, um, the people from Newsnight who were going to do the interview and three days before it took place and she felt very uncomfortable and she didn't want him to do it. But he was quite keen to do it. She felt it would intrude in his private life. Um, but they persuaded him and he persuaded her. And afterwards she was in tears and she felt it was her own um, fault 
that it all went so very wrong because she decided that you know knew that that it would ha would happen she was apparently in tears for weeks mm. but the interesting thing is that um, both um, uh, Andrew and Fergie the Duchess of York um, turned to um, Beatrix for advice because they've always felt she's an old head on young shoulders and she has seemed to be very sensible apart from hats occasionally. Oh that wasn't her <laughs> um, fault we know no, that one now. <laughs> um, but she's, she's, a, she's grounded and she's got perspective on things um, which unfortunately we think Prince Andrew just doesn't have and nor does his ex-wife. Mm. It's fascinating. Well, I think we'll, we'll move on now because no doubt we'll be talking about this again very, very soon. But to another prince, no longer on official duties, I am, of course, talking about Prince Harry, who this week treated the world to a snippet of the new podcast he is making with his wife. Her name's Megan. Let's have a little listen. Should we, should we start? No, ladies first? No, say it, because I think it sounds really nice with your accent. Well, Arch Audio. Arch, yeah. Arch World Audio. I mean... Really? <laughs> Shall we? Yeah, let's do it. Hi guys, I'm Harry. And I'm Megan. One of the things my husband and I have always talked about is our passion for meeting people and hearing their stories. And no matter what the story, they usually offer you an understanding of where someone else is coming from. And at the same time, remind you in some way of a story about yourself. And that's what this project is all about. To bring forward different perspectives and voices that perhaps you haven't heard before and find our common ground. Because when that happens, change really is possible. And you know, this is also a moment to celebrate kindness and compassion, something we saw in so many places this year and which will underlie everything you hear from Archwell Audio. Well, the Mail's Royal Editor, Rebecca English, is here now and can tell us more. Rebecca, this isn't some sort of do-it-yourself podcast, isn't it? No, and some of the reports this week have suggested that it could be worth in the region of £30 million over the next few years to them, which is a significant amount of money. Of course, what we don't know is that because it's being done under the Archwell umbrella, which is the name of their new not-for-profit foundation, we don't know whether it's going into their pockets, whether it's going to the charity, maybe a bit of both. I think that's something they would probably be advised to clear up sooner rather than later. I mean, we're used to seeing the royals all the time, aren't we? In, in little bursts, you know, the odd, very neutral, inoffensive speech, the occasional, a very occasional interview. But a regular podcast is a huge departure. Yes, I mean, we have seen the royals dip their toe in this a little bit in recent years. You know, there's been the odd radio guest edit. Uh, both William and Kate have done interviews with well-known podcasters but not the kind of the whole shebang. It's, it's not something they really have got the time or the inclination for. And as we know, with this kind of very personal podcast, it does tend to become the gospel according to that person. And obviously, as you know, state-funded figures, I think the royal family need to be more open to scrutiny than that. So, yeah, it's something definitely Harry and Meghan would not have been able to do had they still been working members of the royal family. Have you heard any whispers, um, you know, beyond the, the trailer they released about the kind of content that will be in it? They're, you know, the pressure will be on to make it really interesting, won't it? Yeah, so they've said in a statement they're going to make this about, you know, inspiring and uplifting individuals and stories, which is great. Um, I suppose this is where the rub is, isn't it? Is that, is that worth £30 million? Will they, this couple who, one of the reasons why they quit the UK is because they said they wanted more privacy and less of a spotlight. Will they 
be asked to give more bang for their bucks and be asked to shed a spotlight on their private lives and their time uh, formally as working royals. I mean, the truth is, Joe, I don't know the answer to that more than anybody else, but I think it's something that people will be keeping a very, very close eye on. The podcast isn't the only deal we've heard about this week. It seems Meghan has gone from a barrister in suits to a barista. Do you see what I did there? Oh, very, very good, Joe. Scorching. Um, yes, yeah, so we heard this week as well that Megan has become an investor for the first time. She's investing in a startup company that makes, let me get this straight, vegan super lattes, instant ones that you can have on the go, whatever that might be. Um, and we don't know how much she's investing in it, but she's super keen on it. I mean, the company is very female led. It's very ethical. There are things that chime massively with her. Uh, and from what I hear this week is it might be her first investment, but it certainly won't be her last. Do you think there'll be a lorry load of delivery of vegan latte going to the palace? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> is that your only comment on what you think the palace might be thinking about this latest deal? Well, it, I have seen reports this week of kind of suggestions of palace fury over it. I mean, I can tell you now that is categorically not true. You know, the palace, except they've left, you know, they stopped becoming working royals to pursue lucrative commercial careers abroad. They accept that. That said, clearly they are watching what deals they take on with great interest and probably a certain amount of trepidation as well. And the one thing that did raise eyebrows this week was the way that this story emerged. So the first kind of rumour that we heard about something might be going on was on Monday morning when Oprah Winfrey, who's obviously a US entertainment giant, posted a rather kind of odd, I don't know, like shopping channel style video on her Instagram site, extolling the virtues of these vegan lattes. And because she said a friend and neighbour of hers, M, had sent her a gift basket of them. Now, if anyone was left in any doubt who that M might be, underneath it, it said, you know, yes, that M with a little crown. Now, I know that did raise eyebrows at the palace because that was felt to be kind of rather nakedly cashing in on the royal connection. Not Meghan's fault. It might be something Oprah did without her realising. But I think that is something they have to be quite careful of in the future. And of course, at that time, we didn't even know Meghan was an investor in the company. So I think that was seen as being possibly a little bit disingenuous. It's all very intriguing. Thank you, Rebecca. Um, Angela, I'm going to come to you. You wrote a biography about Prince Harry. Will you be listening to the podcast avidly? <laughs> I'll well, take that as I an will. offence. <laughs> I will, because I'm curious. But uh, I think I um, will have to be very strict with myself that uh, I don't make too many um, bad comments about it. The point is that Harry is not an actor. She's trying to make him act a bit. That introduction at the beginning is quite sick making I think <laughs> that they are Harsh. you know hello who are you I'm Megan oh I'm Harry um, and it's quite phony and just put there for the sake of it um, he, both their voice are very soft and when they talk about kindness and compassion I immediately think of the Queen and how they treated her and the other senior members of the royal family and indeed Megan's uh, father she's not compassionate at all about that and this is a sign of how hypocritical they are that they say one thing and do something else tell us how to live our lives and hope there's not too much of that and um, but not feel that they are obliged to do the same 
same thing. I mean, it's mm. definitely going to be a lot of worthy content, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I take Angela's points, but I am looking forward to hearing it. I mean, I think it's, it's going to be fascinating, isn't it? And as <laughs> Rebecca touched on... You're, all, you're just thinking about all your stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it will be obviously yeah. compulsory viewing every week. But Listening, listening. Yeah, uh, sorry, listening, <laughs> listening. But, yeah. um, the key thing is, like Rebecca said, they will be under pressure to give more of themselves. And we've heard this with... Um, you know, another member of the extended royal family, Mike Tyndall, who chose last week to reveal oh, in right, his yeah. own rugby podcast that Zara's expecting their child. And, you know, that's the sort of thing that Spotify, if they are paying these millions that are talked about, you know, they will want to get their money. I mean, there are, there are so many podcasts out there. It's like Palace Confidential is <laughs> one of them. Yeah. See what I did there. But um, do you think people will listen to this? I think they listen in droves. Yeah. But not necessarily in this country. I think it's really for American and it's for Megan's fans who um, a large amount are between 15 and 20. They're the ones that are going to hang on to all the cliched woke advice and information. I think a lot of people in this country feel so angry with them they they won't want to want to hear what they've got to say because we've heard enough now all those 12 PRs who are working for them are pouring on us one thing after another I mean how they can do it all and why they're doing it all is, is a, well, an interesting question there's a lot of multi-million dollar deals flying around now right I mean can they are they choosing wisely do you think this vegan coffee is well, that what it is vegan lattes yeah I mean what, yeah. you know what is really going on I mean it's fascinating we have this string of announcements over the last few weeks and the coffee one particularly i mean you know are they really making as much money as as we've been led to well, believe i feel like they're working a lot harder than i am at the moment it's like you know there's <laughs> there's a lot going they feel like they're really sweating to sort of like meet this lifestyle expectation I mean, clearly this coffee will be the first of many won't it and they'll be promoting it no doubt we'll have harry you know um giving a commercial break on their podcast can that really coffee. happen um, I don't see why not. They can certainly mention things in passing or interview yeah. the, the founder of the brand. Could it be building up a whole image that, see, we've done brilliantly this year, we've done amazingly, we don't know, need you anymore to the royal family, that will affect the Queen's and Prince Charles and Prince William's decision of what happens in mm. May. You know, we're coming up to the fact that they made their announcement on Instagram a year ago and nearly a year ago mm. and they've got to prove and they haven't really done anything yet substantial. Um, part of that, of course, is because of the pandemic, but nothing seems to quite work. We hear in advance what they're setting up, but something, you know, she was going to write a book that hasn't happened. You know, there's lots of things that they're setting up to keep our interest. But um, if they've got this wonderful deal with Netflix, why are they having another wonderful deal when they concentrate on... Because well, um, 100 million isn't do. enough for that mansion, believe <laughs> yeah. me. I must say, I mean, it yeah. does make what we were told at the time they left this country just seem like complete nonsense. I mean, we had their sort of sycophantic cheerleaders literally crying when they left, saying, oh, they've been driven out of the country by they those want, they want awful a, they want their tabloids. They want yeah. their privacy in North America. Well, they didn't stay in Canada very long. And now they're in L.A. doing podcasts, Netflix deals, coffee promotions. I mean... Really? I mean, it's just... Well, all I can tell you is I really, I kind of really feel like a vegan latte right now. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, yeah. I think the other problem is, is that they have this in, an inclination to be victims. So if they're not really winning, they then, you know, put themselves forward as victims and resentful of what's happened to them. When really, they're having an extraordinarily 
opening open life where they can do exactly what they want but there's something there that they've both got maybe from uh, dysfunctional homes that they actually feel they need to fall back on somehow to protect themselves and make people feel sorry for them and allow them to do all that they're doing. Wow. Watch mm. this space is all I can say. Mm. But, well, with Christmas fast approaching, the madness of 2020 means it might not look like a traditional festive season for, well, really any of us, but we are expecting at least one thing to remain the same, the Queen's Christmas Day Address to the Nation. Ahead of next week's big event, which will be her 67th, would you believe, we've looked back at the history of a key event in the nation's calendar. I shall dedicate myself anew to your service. A very happy Christmas to you all. But I want to ask you all, whatever your religion may be, to pray for me on that day. The television has made it possible for many of you to see me in your homes on Christmas Day. May the months ahead bring you joy. It would be short-sighted to waste this modest step towards brotherhood. Many of you who are watching, and on top of it all, the cost of living. Today we are not just nameless people in a crowd. For me, perhaps the most lasting impression was one of thankfulness that the 40 intervening years have been ones of comparative peace. We hear of riots, wars. To all of you of every faith and race, I send my best wishes for a time of peace and tranquility corroded into intolerance, bigotry, and ultimately into violence. Like so many visitors in bicentennial year, I wish you all a very happy Christmas. This year, there have been, I hope, times of happiness. All the selfless voluntary work in the world like many other families, we have lived through some difficult days this year. The prayers, understanding and sympathy given to us by so many of you, in good times and bad, have lent us great support and encouragement. Armed with that faith, the new year with all its challenges and chances, we all felt the shock and sorrow of Diana's death. We are looking back, not just one year, but on a hundred years and a thousand years. This millennium year has been an unforgettable one, and foot and mouth, which has had such devastating consequences for our farmers and rural community. It is often difficult to keep this sense of perspective. As I look back on these past 12 months, it was in this way that he proclaimed his belief. I hope that like me, you will be comforted by the example of Jesus of Nazareth. The organization remains a strong and practical force for good. It is as important as ever to build communities. The Commonwealth is a family of 53 nations. This past year has been one of great celebration for many. The enthusiasm which greeted the Diamond Jubilee was of course especially memorable for me and my family. The local shepherds must have had no shortage of time for reflection. Reconciliation is the peaceful end to conflict. We shouldn't be discouraged. Rather, it inspires us to try harder. Jesus Christ lived obscurely for most of his life, a reminder of how truly vibrant this international family is. 
2018 has been a year of centenaries. And as we all look forward to the start of a new decade, it's worth remembering that it is often the small steps, not the giant leaps, that bring about the most lasting change. And so I wish you all a very happy Christmas. That's so all we have time for this week on Palace Confidential. That went quickly. Goodness me. Well, my thanks to my guests as ever, Rebecca English, Angela Levin and Richard Eden. Next week, we'll have a look back at some of the best bits of the show from the past year. And make sure you check back on Mail Plus across the Christmas period for some exciting royal content. Goodbye for now.